Support for WSKG Studios is provided by Downtown Ithaca Alliance, working for the community to make Downtown Ithaca a vibrant place for all. Information about events, local businesses, and more at downtownithaca.com. Hello and welcome to the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Piak. We have a special treat for you this episode as we partner with Southern Tier Actors Read for dramatic readings of three spooky tales that we filmed at the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton, New York. From Edgar Allan Poe to Ghosts in Your Bedroom, I recommend you listen to this one with your lights on. Our first story is a classic tale of revenge. It features the talents of two longtime members of Star. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Fortunato, for the most part, was a quack, but in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk, one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend and he had on a tight-fitting, party-striped costume, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. My dear Fortunando, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you're looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How? Amontillado? A pipe? Impossible. And in the middle of the carnival? I have my doubts. And I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado. And I must satisfy them. Amontillado. As you are engaged, I am my way to Lucrezia. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucrezia cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. (laughs) And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults? My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucrezia... I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no. It is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon... And as for Lucrezia, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. (laughs) Thus speaking, 
Fortunato possessed himself of my arm and putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a cloak closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. I had told them that I should not return until the morning and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance. I took from their sconces two torches and gave one to Fortunato. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. And we came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together upon the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The pipe. <coughs> it is farther on, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. <coughs> A draft of the Medoc will defend us from the damps. Here, I knocked off the neck of a bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mould. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine, and he raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink to the buried that repose around us. And I to your long life. He again took my arm and we proceeded. These vaults are extensive. The Montresors were a great and numerous family. Forget your arms. A huge human foot of gold in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. In the motto? Nemome impune lacessi. <laughs> no one provokes me with impunity. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the wine sparkled in his eyes. Proceed. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucrezzi... Uh, he is an ignoramus. <laughs> he stepped unsteadily forward. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. Its, its surface were two iron staples. From one of these depended a short chain. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. Once more, let me implore you to return. No, then I must positively leave you. The Amontillado. True, the Amontillado. As I said these, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunado had in great measure worn off. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain, and I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones that I might hearken to it with more satisfaction. When at last the clanking subsided, I finished the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast. I again paused, and holding the torch over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. For a brief moment, I hesitated, I trembled. And then I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and was satisfied. It was now midnight and my task was drawing to a close. And there remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I placed it partially in its destined position. 
A very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo over our wine. The Amontillado. <laughs> yes, the Amontillado. But is it not getting late? Will not they be awaiting us at the palazzo, Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor. Yes, for the love of God. <sighs> but to these words, I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. Fortunato! No answer. Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust the torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. And there came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made us so. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace, requiescat. Rest in peace, my friend. The absolutely amazing Bill Gorman with a bone-chilling reading of Cask of Amontillado here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. Up next, a more lighthearted affair that will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is an ensemble from Southern Tier Actors Read performing Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. exchanged my maiden name, for better or worse, and dearest Frederick and I stepped into the carriage that was to carry us to Guernsey and our honeymoon. We were perfectly well satisfied with ourselves and each other. We were idiotically blissful for two or three days. Some old friends of Papa's had lent us an ancient mansion screened behind lofty walls of lichened red brick and weather-worn wrought iron gates. Mondesir, the place was called. Dear Frederick, whose temperaments and tastes, having a decided bias towards the gloomy and mystic, had been an enthusiastic spiritualist. But our engagement somewhat cooled his passion for psychic research. I myself am somewhat reserved at this day in my method of dealing with the subject of spooks. But my silence does not proceed from ignorance. Knowledge came to me after this fashion. Waking by my dear Frederick's side somewhere between one and two o'clock towards the break of the fourth day following our marriage, I saw Katie for the first time. From the first moment, I knew that which I looked upon to be no creature of flesh and blood, but the mere apparition of a woman. Well, I damn again and don't fuss. It's only Katie. Only Katie! I like that! Well, you might not like it, but you have got to put up with me. How dare you intrude here? And in such an hour! I knew your husband before you did. 
We became acquainted at a seance and have seen a great deal of each other. He was constantly materializing me in order to ask questions about Shakespeare. We're all expected to know whether Shakespeare wrote his own plays or whether they were written by someone else of the same name. Which was it? There you go. Oh, I wish you would. It seems to me that you manifest a great lack of refinement in coming here. I cannot go until Frederick has finished. Don't you see that he has materialized me by dreaming about me? And as there exists at present a strong sympathy between you, so it comes that I am visible to you as well. I call it detestable. Wake up, wake up. I cannot and will not endure the presence of this creature for another moment. What? What's the matter, my darling? Stop dreaming about that creature, or I shall go home to Mama. Creature? As I sat up, I had the satisfaction of seeing Katie's form fade slowly into nothingness. You know who I mean. Katie, your spiritual affinity, as she calls herself. You don't mean that you have seen her. I do mean it. Oh, if I had only known of your having an entanglement with any creature of the kind, I would never have married you. Never. Hang her. After all, there's nothing to be jealous of. I jealous? And of that? After all, she is only a disembodied astral entity (gasps) whom I made an acquaintance in the days when I moved in spiritualistic society. Discourage them from this day. Neither think of her nor dream of her again or... I will have a separation. I will keep her as much as possible out of my waking thoughts. But a man can control his dreams. However, if she really is, as she has told me, a lady by birth and breeding, then she will understand that I am now a married man and from this moment desire to have no further communication with her. Then, after some more desultory conversation, we fell soundly asleep. An hour may have passed when... You see, it is no use. He is dreaming of me again. (laughs) Wake up! The more Frederick strove to banish Katie from his dreams, the more persistently she cropped up in them. Now that Frederick's former regard for her was converted into hatred, he found the thought of her continually invading his waking mind at the most unwelcome seasons. She had begun to appear to both of us, by day as well as by night, when our poisoned honeymoon had come to an end, and we returned to town. Katie accompanied us. It was after another one of her appearances that an idea which afterwards I carried into execution, occurred to me. I made the acquaintance of Madame Blavant, the renowned professoress of spiritualism and theosophy. I subscribed for a course of ten private seances, at which I made an improved-upon acquaintance with Simon. Simon was a spirit who found me attractive. He tried in his way to make himself agreeable, and with my secret motive in mind, I encouraged him. My purpose was accomplished upon a certain night when... I want to explain matters to your husband. He should understand that I am a clergyman and a reputable spirit. There, you hear what he says? Do let me go to sleep. What? 
With that intrusive beast sitting beside you? Never. Well, think how many months I have put up with the presence of Katie. After all, it's only tit for tat. Frederick grunted sulkily and resumed his recumbent position. By day, after that night, she seldom appeared. My husband's brain was much too occupied with Simon. And it was now my turn to twit Frederick with unreasonable jealousy. But at length, an extraordinary conviction dawned on my mind and became stronger with each successive night. Between Simon and Katie, an acquaintance had sprung up. Once, I started from sleep to find myself enveloped in a kind of mosquito tent of chilly, filmy vapor, and the conviction rushed upon me that he and she had leaned across our couch and exchanged an intangible embrace. We never should have met upon the same plane but for the mediumistic intervention of these people. Of the man, I can't say that I think very much, but the lady is everything a lady should be. You are infatuated with her, it is plain, and the sooner you are removed from her sphere of influence, the better. Her power with me is weakening as Frederick's is with you. Our outlines are no longer so clear as they once were. We're still materialized, but for how long this will continue? Don't let us wait for a formal dismissal, then. Let us throw up our respective situations. I still remember enough of the marriage ceremony to make our union, if not regular, at least respectable. And I know quite a fashionable place on the outside edge of things where we can settle down and live on practically nothing. When I saw the room again clearly, the chairs beside our respective pillows were empty. Years have passed. And neither Frederick nor myself has ever had a glimpse of the spirits whom we were the means of introducing to one another. We are quite content to know ourselves forever deprived of their company. Yet, sometimes, when I look at our three babies, I wonder whether that establishment of Simon's and Katie's on the outside edge of things includes a nursery. That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, James Michalik as her husband Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. We have one more dramatic reading to go, but a reminder that you can watch the broadcast version of this episode by visiting wskg.org expressions. To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who... In the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why would you say that I am mad? (laughs) The disease had sharpened my senses. I heard many things in heaven and the earth. I heard many things in hell, too. How then am I mad? Hearken, and observe how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me, day and night. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. I think it was his eye. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a 
film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad, <laughs> but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it. And then I put in a dark lantern, all closed. And then I thrust in my head. It took me an hour to place my head within the opening. <laughs> Would a madman have been as wise as this? <laughs> and then I undid the lantern cautiously. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights. But I found the eye always closed, so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me but his evil eye. And every morning I went boldly into the chamber, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had spent the night. Upon the eighth night, I had my head in and was about to open the lantern. My thumb slipped upon the fastening and the old man sprang up in his bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still. For a whole hour, I did not hear him move. Presently, I heard a slight groan. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. He had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise. He had been trying to fancy them causeless. He had been saying to himself, it is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor. But he had found all in vain. All in vain. Because death had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, I opened a little crevice in the lantern a simple dim ray like the thread of a spider shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was wide, wide open. I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous film over it and chilled the very marrow in my bones. Now there came to my ear a, a quick dull sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder. Every instant, the old man's terror must have been extreme. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me that the sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and I leapt into the room. He shrieked once, only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and I pulled the heavy bed over him. The heart beat on with a muffled sound. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed, I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there for many minutes. There was no pulsation. His eye would trouble me no more. Now, if you still think me mad, 
you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I, I then took up three planks of the flooring and deposited all. And I replaced the boards so cleverly that no human eye, not even his, could have discerned anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out. <laughs> no blood spot, whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. When I had made an end of these labors, it was at four o'clock. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what did I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. The officers had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what did I to fear? I took my visitors all over the house and I led them at length to his chamber. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted about familiar things. But ere long, my head ached, and I, I fancied a ringing in my ears. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. I grew very pale, but I talked more and more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased. It was a low, dull, quick sound, such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with, with heavy strides, as, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. God, what could I do? I raved, I swore, I, I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated across the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder and louder, and still the men chatted pleasantly. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, they heard. They were making a mockery of my horror. I could bear their hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt I must scream or die. Villains! Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Here, here. Tear up the planks here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Read by Chris Nickerson here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. I need to thank the Southern Tier Actors Read and Chris specifically for all their help in putting this show together. I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. You can visit the Southern Tier Actors Read Facebook page for their latest news and performances and visit yourpublicradio.org for more information about this and all the other great podcasts and music streams available through WSKG. 
We will be back soon with another great episode of the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak.
Hello, and welcome to the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Piak. We have a spooky special treat for you this episode as we partner with the Southern Tier Actors Read for dramatic readings of three tales that were filmed at the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton, New York. From Edgar Allan Poe to Ghosts in Your Bedroom, I recommend you listen to this one with your lights on. Her first story is a classic tale of revenge and features the talents of two longtime members of Star. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. Our first story is a classic tale of revenge and features the talents of two longtime members of Star. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor. in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. Our first story is a classic tale of revenge and features the talents of two longtime members of Star. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. The amazing Bill Gorman with a bone-chilling reading of Cask of Amontillado here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. And don't worry, we will fetch Chris Nickerson from behind the wall a little later for another reading in this program. Up next, a more lighthearted affair that will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is an ensemble from Southern Tier Actors Read performing Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. The amazing Bill Gorman with a bone-chilling reading of Cask of Amontillado here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. Up next, a more lighthearted affair that will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here, up next, a more lighthearted affair that will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is an ensemble from Southern Tier Actors Read performing Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. The absolutely amazing Bill Gorman with a bone-chilling reading of Cask of Amontillado here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. Up next, a more lighthearted affair that will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is an ensemble from Southern Tier Actors Read performing Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. Uh... That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, 
James McCalick as her husband, Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. We have one more dramatic reading to go, but a reminder that you can watch the broadcast version of this episode, and I'd heartily recommend that you do, by visiting wskg.org expressions. To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, James McCalick as her husband Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. We have one more dramatic reading to go, but a reminder that you can watch the broadcast version of this episode by visiting wskg.org slash expressions. To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. To close out the program, we bring back Chris... To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, read by Chris Nickerson here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. I need to thank Chris, who acted as my co-director for this program, for all his support in putting the show together. He helped guide our other actors throughout the production, his hard work was greatly appreciated. I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. You can visit the Southern Tier Actors Read Facebook page for their latest news and performances and visit yourpublicradio.org for more information about this and all the other great podcasts and music streams available through WSKG. We will be back soon with another great episode of the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, read by Chris Nickerson here on the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. I need to thank the Southern Tier Actors Read and Chris specifically for all their help in putting this show together. I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. You can visit the Southern Tier Actors Read Facebook page for their latest news and performances and visit yourpublicradio.org for more information about this and all the other great podcasts and music streams available through WSKG. We will be back soon with another great episode of the Expressions Director's Cut Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, read by Chris Nickerson here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. I need to thank the Southern Tier Actors Read 
and Chris specifically for all their help in putting this show together. I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. You can visit the Southern Tier Actors Read Facebook page for more information, their latest news, and performances. Finally, visit yourpublicradio.org for more information about this and all the other great podcasts and music streams available through WSKG. We will be back soon with another great episode of the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak. You can visit the Southern Tier Actors Read Facebook page for their latest news and upcoming performances. All right, one more read. This will be it. Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, read by Chris Nickerson here on the Expressions Director's Cut podcast. I want to thank Southern Tier Actors Read and Chris for all their help and support. I think you got it. Let's just move on. Hello and welcome to Expressions on WSKG Classical. I am your host, Andrew Piak. We have a special treat for you this episode as we partner with Southern Tier Actors Read for dramatic readings of three spooky tales that were filmed at the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton, New York. From Edgar Allan Poe, the ghosts in your bedroom. I recommend you listen to this one with your lights on. Uh, okay. Oh, okay, that's right. I was gonna... Our first story is a classic tale of revenge and features the talents of two longtime members of Star. Here are Chris Nickerson as Fortunato and Bill Gorman as Montresor in Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. This is Expressions on WSKG Classical. I am Andrew Piak. Our next reading is a bit more lighthearted, and will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here, here is Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. This is Expressions on WSKG Classical. I am Andrew Piak. Our next reading is a bit more lighthearted and will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. This is Expressions on WSKG Classical. I am Andrew Piak. Our next reading is a bit more lighthearted and will definitely make you wonder what your partner is dreaming about. Here is Clotilda Mary Graves, A Spirit Elopement. That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, James McCaleck as her husband Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on this special version of Expressions on WSKG Classical. I'm your host, Andrew Piak. Now to close out the program, we bring back Chris. Now to close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, 
can only listen to the telltale heart. That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, James Michalik as her husband Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on this special version of Expressions on WSKG Classical. To close out the program, we bring back Chris... To close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. That was Jane Elliott as the narrator, James Michalik as her husband Frederick, Dory Mae Gannison as Katie, and Eric Bill as Simon, performing a spirit elopement here on this special version of Expressions on WSKG Classical. Now to close out the program, we bring back Chris Nickerson as a narrator who, in the end, can only listen to the telltale heart. That concludes this special episode of Expressions on WSKG Classical. I want to thank Chris Nickerson and Southern Tier Actors Read for their partnership on this program. I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. We will be back soon with another great episode of Expressions on WSKG Classical. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak. That concludes this special episode of Expressions on WSKG Classical. I want to thank Chris Nickerson and Southern Tier Actors Read for their partnership on this program. And I also need to thank Jeff Stahara and Nuclear Studios for his audio engineering and the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton for allowing us to film these segments there. We will be back soon with another great episode of Expressions on WSKG Classical. Thanks so much for listening. This is Andrew Piak. Ahem. <coughs>